Oh, oh, it got cut short. Oh, always something has to go wrong. Welcome to another adventure here on Southern Sense Live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, Global Enlightenment Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, I. Oh, I heart, I don't know, half a dozen, including Amazon Music. I can't even find them anymore. Just go to the name of the show, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle. Uh, but wait, uh, we're in the process of migrating from GoDaddy to WordPress. So you may or may not. We've been doing that, and I just tried it a little while ago. But try again in a little while. Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm the craziest hostess with the least most is Annie the Chickadee. And my guest co-host is going, what the F have I just gotten myself into? Josh, <laughs> Joshua Perry. Good afternoon, Josh. You're in for it today. Hey, good afternoon. <laughs> How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. We've got ourselves two dynamic ladies on our show. And normally we have someone from Heritage Foundation. And next week we will, along with my friend Mark Tapscott from the Epic Times or Epoch Times, as he reproaches me on Epoch. We have Claire, also known as Cece Carter. And she's a longtime media host and commentator. And she has a network of her own called Good For You Network, which is very appropriate today, Josh, because you know what today is? Have you any idea? Well, I know it's the day that ah. kicks off the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> it is actually National Smile Day. <laughs> so good for your network is perfect timing. It's also well, Columbus weekend Day weekend. Good time to smile. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we also have our friend coming back, Lady Redneck. She is known as Stephanie Lee. She's got a new single out there. It's called God So Loved the World. Uh, she's a fantastic lady, and she's got a huge story to tell. Uh, but that said, um, Josh, you know that every show that we start off with, there's always a dedication to a fallen hero. And uh, today's dedication is going to go out to um, Deputy Sheriff Tyee Brown of the, um, uh, forgive me, the Crisp County Sheriff's Office out of Georgia. His end of watch was July 5th of this year. And I have this from the Officer Down Memorial page, as well as from WGA. WGXA TV and from his personal obituary and it starts off as I pull up let me get the uh, slideshow up here and get this out little technical difficulties at this moment so apologize and here goes the dedication slideshow and this reads Deputy Sheriff Tyee Brown was shot and killed at about 3.40 a.m. after stopping a stolen vehicle on the 1300 block of Highway 280 in Cordelli. The subject shot Deputy Brown during the traffic stop and then stole his patrol car. Other deputies pursued the vehicle through multiple counties before the man was taken into custody. Deputy Brown was transported to the Crisp National Hospital where he succumbed to his wounds. The subject was charged with malice murder, felony murder, two counts of aggravated assault, theft by receiving stolen property, carjacking, three counts of possession of a firearm by a convicted felon, three counts of possession of a firearm during the commission of a crime, 
and two counts of theft by taking. Deputy Brown was also an Army National Guard veteran and had served with the Crisp County Sheriff's Office for a little over one year. He was also a detention officer before moving to the Uniform Patrol Division 10 months earlier. He survived by his mother, stepfather, two brothers, stepbrothers, and grandparents. He was only 26 years old. He served his tour of one year and five months. Crisp County Sheriff's Deputy Ty Brown was remembered and saluted for his life and his service in Cordelli at a funeral service held at Crisp County Middle School. Hundreds of people gathered to say a final goodbye. A packed auditorium holding law enforcement officers from all over the state sat alongside friends, family, and colleagues grieving the death while celebrating the life of Deputy Brown. Taps played in tribute to the fallen officer. And after a last call to duty was made, Only silence returned. Waves of people filed from the service to line the roadsides for a procession. It was a final tribute to Deputy Tyee Brown. Michael Miller was Brown's barber. After the service, he said he recalled the deputy as always upbeat, always smiling. He stated he was always upbeat, always smiling, always trying to help people. Everybody knows What a big loss this is. And they just feel so bad for his family. Hero is the title we bestow upon him today. And at 26 years old, this young man faced evil while protecting our community. Crisp County Sheriff's Deputy Michael Brown's end of watch of protection over Crisp County was a testament to his unwavering commitment extraordinary dedication, and stellar service to the community. Tai was Brown in Tampa, Florida. Christina and Brown Connolly and the late Marcus Ian Michael Brown were his parents. In his high school days, Tai learned to play the trumpet and French horn. He was an avid soccer player and a dog lover and enjoyed showing dogs as well. He was dedicated to serving others as evidenced by his Army National Guard service and he loved his Crisp County Sheriff's Office family and cherished their love in return. Deputy Sheriff Tyee Michael Brown, stand down. You are end of tour, and we will take it here. We dedicate this show to Deputy Tyee Brown. We also dedicate it to all the brave men and women that serve as first responders in our nation. Be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. We also dedicate this show to all the brave men and women that serve this nation from its beautiful birth through today and into our hopeful future. We dedicate to them this song by Tiffany, Soul of the Nation. Sit back and listen.
right, it seems like we have a little bit of an audio problem here because Josh couldn't hear the music from Tiffany. That is a shame. So we have to go to... I have this worked out. I don't have my normal co-host today, Josh, so, you know, forgive me. I can mess up every time once again. Every now and then I mess up a wet dream. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but we'll get it working. Anyway, we do have our guest here in the studio. Let me pull her up live and want to welcome to the show. And she knows anything and everything can go wrong when you do this live. That's why like a lot of people like to record it and edit. So welcome. Do we have Claire with us? Now I can hear you, and I'm sorry I couldn't hear the song as well. Your introduction was beautiful, and the way you honored Deputy Sheriff Brown, I was very touched by. Yeah, I, I'm, I've been trying to get it inaugurated into this program, and for some reason, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, and I'm going to have to get a hold of the company and say, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> but you probably have yeah, a producer here, right? Don't worry about that. <laughs> Yeah. No, it makes you appreciate when everything goes right, um, because you do know sometimes there are some hiccups in life. But I'm so happy to be talking with you today. Well, yeah, as I said, it's National Smile Day, and I didn't know that. It's about maybe half an hour before coming on air because I was watching Newsmax, not Fox or any other news station, and they're going, it's National Smile Day. And I said, perfect. <laughs> God has Absolutely. a sense of humor. He does. <laughs> uh, yes, in the more than coincidence of life. But as you were talking about Deputy Sheriff Brown, I thought about, you know, in producing and recording and writing, never again should there be a 9-11. Um, there was just another milestone that touched me deeply, and that was that the number of New York City firefighters who have died from 9-11 related diseases is now equal to the number who died that day. And part of doing Never Again Should There Be a 9-11, I wrote at the very end a dedication remembering and honoring all those who died, all those who survived, and all those whose lives will never be the same. And that is so many people. So, um, you know, it's important to continue to talk about it. It's not just about 9-11, and then we put it away for the next day, and I encourage people to please go to YouTube, and never again should there be a 9-11. It's part of the Good For You um, uh, network radio uh, channel. But it's been getting so much resonating with people, and people have said to me, it's poignant, it's powerful, I mean, it's, you know, emotional, it's stunning. You can't watch it without choking up. But I wanted to remind and um, about what happened that day and all the ways maybe that it could have been prevented and what we can learn from it. Well, I want to get into that, yes. And uh, I don't know, Victoria may have told you that I do have a personal history with New York City, NYPD, and with those towers. And we'll get into that a little bit. But this is your reflection that you're talking about, about 9-11, when you went down to Ground Zero and you took a look around. And let me key this up, if I can get my mouse to work. And this is yours. It's your episode 14 that people can find on Blueberry as well as your website on your Good For You radio archives. And it's Reflection on 9-11. 
Two months after the attacks on the World Trade Center, I walked down to the site to pay my respects to those who had died. There were some makeshift memorial sites where people had left cards and notes, and I wrote down some of what they left because I wanted to remember, and I want to share that with you right now. Quote, if you love someone, put their name in a circle because hearts can break, but circles go on forever. Brain Girardot wrote this on a poster sent by the fifth and sixth graders from Carbondale Community This written on a card left at a memorial site overlooking the World Trade Center. We can reach out and give, and then reach out some more. We can help make a difference like never before. We can take a close look deep within our own hearts. Stop any prejudice right where it starts. We can vow to respect every faith, every creed, knowing each offers comfort to spirits in need. We can make this America's best shining hour and ask for the wisdom to help guide our power. We can keep candles burning and proud flags unfurl. We can pray for our nation. We can pray for the world. We owe it to ourselves, to our country, to each American who has suffered so deeply, to always remember September 11th in our hearts and do whatever we can to make a difference in the world. author unknown, a typewritten note left at the same memorial site. Half of the note had even weathered away. Quote, if I knew that it would be the last time that I'd see you fall asleep, I would touch you, tuck you in more tightly, and pray the Lord your soul to keep. If I knew it would be the last time that I'd see you walk out the door, I would give you a hug and a kiss and call you back for one more. If I knew it would be the last time I'd hear your voice lifted up in praise, I would videotape each action and work so I could play them back day after day. If I knew it would be the last time I could spare a minute or two to stop and say, I love you, instead of assuming you would know I do. If I knew it would be the last time I would be there to share your day, well, I'm sure you'll have so many more, so I can just let this one slip away. There will always be another day to say, I love you. And certainly, there will be another chance. And then a child wrote, I love you, Daddy. We miss you so much. Lisa, we miss you all. We pay our respects, and we remember all those who died, all those who survived, we will never forget. Wow. Wow, that was very beautiful. Absolutely very beautiful. 
And when I listened to that, I've listened to it several times, you know, what struck me is that, you know, we go out, we strap on our uniforms, we leave our homes, we leave our spouses, we leave our kids, we leave our family, our pets, whatever. And in the back of our mind, we know that we may not make it home for whatever reason. And I'll tell you, uh, my late husband, when he saw the phone ring with the precinct number on it, he'd pick it up and go, all right, what happened to her now? Uh, we're, We're prepared for that. Our family may not be. They say they are. They may not be. But the families of those innocent victims in the towers, they were just going to a normal day of work. And what really struck me about 9-11 this year, Claire, was that President Biden did not show up. He went to Alaska. He sent Camilla Harris, Queen Camilla Mella, as I call her, to stand there in his, his stead. And thank God she didn't open her mouth. But the The administration's excuse was, well, 20 years after uh, Pearl Harbor, the president didn't go, so why should he go? Well, number one, there's a big difference. I mean, number one, we were preparing for war, and our military target was hit, not a civilian target. And it wasn't done by terrorists. It was by an enemy we knew. This was a civilian target, not a military target, hit by a terrorist. We knew about the terrorist, but... The innocence and the nation itself as a whole was unprepared. Now, we can discuss how well prepared the administration in the White House was and what they knew and when they knew it. And that's a whole another broadcast. But there's a huge difference between these two incidents. And there's a reason why 9-11 we should never, ever, ever forget. Well, that is why I did two pieces. The one that you just played is called Reflections on 9-11 with music by Gun Hill Road, beautiful music by Gun Hill Road, and that I recorded a couple of years ago. But I also have a piece called Never Again Should There Be a 9-11, because I do feel strongly about that. And it begins, and I don't know if you have it there that you can play it, but in case you don't, it begins with a picture and a photo of the World Trade Center before 9-11 and just the tops of the building and the camera begins to zoom in on the clouds and then it goes and it dissolves to the hallway inside filled with dust and it's very simple. A husband calls his wife to say, I love you. Say this message your whole life. All he had was his phone and he knew he wasn't coming home and that's how it begins. Very personal. And yeah. Um, yeah. And I wanted, and I and I, I have it. You, you have it oh, because I, I, it's about yeah. bringing. How do we bring people together? Number one, because we were unified then, and number two, could it have been prevented? And what we can do to prevent something like this from ever happening again? So that was why you need to. People need to listen to it and watch it. And I put it up. You know, it was put up on YouTube on the Good for You Network channel. Not just as a reminder once a year, but what do we actively do to honor? And I think there was, you'll appreciate it, and that's why I so appreciate it, what you just did for Officer Brown. Uh, 60 Minutes did a piece a couple of weeks ago, and it was uh, on September 10th, and I believe it was re-airing a piece by Scott Pelley about the fire department that day, the New York City Fire Department, and the role that they played. And every last one of those firefighters went up those stairs knowing, as you talk, that they probably weren't coming back. But one firefighter says something that I will always remember. She switched jobs that day with somebody. And because she switched jobs, that person died and she survived. And she said, in the African-American culture, we say the person's name out loud.
to honor them. And that's what you just did. You said Officer Brown's name out loud. And that's in the reading of the names every year. Every year. There's the reading of the names. And in Never Again Should There Be a 9-11, I quote a young man named Jimmy, who was named for his uncle. He was only four years old when his uncle left this world. And he implored the politicians that were there, you know. And it wasn't just about being there and being united on that day. But he was saying it shouldn't. It shouldn't take a tragedy to bring us together because of a dereliction of duty. So it's incorporating all of that. Yeah, it is. It is. And that's why I did the segue between the first piece and now the second piece that we're going to play. And we'll get into it a little bit uh, more because uh, I've got certain remembrances. There was an ESU Truck 8 sergeant just before I retired um, I wrote up his, his commendation, and he came into my office, and his ESU truck mates, they dragged him in. And he didn't want anything. And I, we made him sit down, and I did the write-up to give him that medal. It was the last thing I did before I retired. He died hmm. in the towers. And uh, there's two other friends of mine that also died. And I st- am still flying in front of my house the flag of remembrance that has the name of every single first responder, including the 27 in NYPD that died that day, flying right now outside my house. I put it up at the beginning of September, and I won't take it down now until the end of this year. And well, we've had to remember. Yes, and I'm also touched by what you said, how... How do you learn to live with that kind of danger when you leave the house? You said the families, you know, how do they do that? But how do you do that? How did you do that, knowing what you might face? I mean, that takes a lot. It takes a lot of guts. It takes a lot inside of oneself as a human being to honor, to do, to serve in that way. So to great credit to you and others like you. Oh, there's, there's others that are far better than me. I'm just, I just put one foot in the other and I made it home alive at the end of the day. <laughs> That's how I looked at it. But, uh, well, thank you for your I'm sure I have <laughs> Yeah, well, I got some funny stories. <laughs> one day you and I will sit down privately. And now I have a question for you. Are you originally a New Yorker? That's what I'm curious about. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm from the New York area. But anyway, I, w- I would really love people to hear Never Again Should There Be a 9-11 because having lived in New York and downtown New York, you know, it's personal to me as well. All right. Well, I have it all queued up. Here we go. A husband calls his wife to say, I love you. Save this message your whole life. All he had was his phone. He knew he wasn't going to make it home to his family. There was no way he and others could flee. So much smoke. You could not see the way out. It certainly was not clear. Too many, overwhelmed by dust, debris, and fear. Life so precious and dear. Help is on the way, is what they needed to hear. The first responders were terrific, but what they faced was horrific. They went up flights of stairs to save others, brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, They're trained to lay down their own life for a stranger, never thinking about the extent of the danger. Would some lives have been spared if security hadn't announced, Tower 2 is secure, it's safe to go back. 
They were not imagining another plane, another attack. There were those coming down the stairs who did choose to turn around. Others told by office mates, no need to leave. So for all of them, we continue to grieve. Why couldn't the Twin Towers withstand the attack? Were structural design flaws a fact? Who in charge had the gall to approve only three stairwells for a building that tall? How do you justify that call? It would leave more real estate to sell? Is that what it was all about? Pray, tell. Did building safety take a back seat? The steel beams inadequately fireproofed so they could not withstand the intense heat. Have we forgotten the lessons of 9-11? All those who died and are now in heaven? Do the perpetrators of this tragedy deserve a special place in hell? But some are still alive and well in Guantanamo, this much we know. There were those more concerned about the conditions of their confinement than that they be tried in a military courtroom so justice could be served, that a tribunal would decide what they deserved. 22 years later, they are still breathing in the air, while so many got sick and died in the intervening years from the toxic dust. Does that somehow seem fair? On 9-11, there were those who jumped rather than die by fire. They did not get to live their dreams and inspire the next generation because of their premature expiration. How do you make sense of the senseless? We came together then, but one wonders when will we see that again. Shame on all those who would tear us apart, who are not genuine, they do not come from the heart. Whether politicians or members of the media or others on either side of the aisle espousing extreme views, always up for a fight, not open to differences of opinion because they always have to be right, which makes you wrong. Isn't that their repetitive song? We do not honor those who died when we haven't even tried to get past our differences. Be open to other points of view. That's something those who died or do. They gave their lives for what? and their families got to pay, to be precise, too high a price. How dare we forget? We are supposed to be there for each other. Teach our children to come together, not fight and call each other disparaging names. This is not setting an example. It's playing a sick game. Could 9-11 have been prevented? Will we ever know the answer? So many lives lost, such incredible cost. But did anyone lose their job, held accountable for the unthinkable? Was it a national security blunder? Don't we have a right to wonder about decisions presidents made, the role the FBI played, and the ultimate price paid? What if U.S. airline security had been more like LL? With the terrorists have been thwarted, instead of feeling rewarded with a mission complete, a horrendous feat. 
There were experts back then whose warnings were not heeded. Our screening system was not good enough and needed to be updated. 9-11 was not faded. We New Yorkers were told the air was safe, but that was not true. Did government officials have a clue that what they were saying was a lie? So you have to ask why again. The people in charge face no consequences for their actions or inaction. Years later, Christy Whitman, then head of the EPA, said we did the, the best people in charge face no consequences for really? their actions or inaction. Affecting people's health may not be a crime, but shame on all those who misled us about what was deadly dust. If you can't breathe the air without a mask, you can trust it's not safe outside to do any task. We are still vulnerable to another terrorist attack. The Secretary of Homeland Security says the southern border is secure, but the reality is it's now an open door. Pictures don't tell lies. So how does he get away with saying that when we can see with our own eyes? Check out if that's a fact. Have we turned the border inadvertently into a welcome mat for would-be terrorists too? All it takes is a few to turn our world topsy-turvy. Would you agree? A man was just four when his uncle Jimmy, who he is named for, died that day. In the annual reading of the names of the dead, this is what he said, reminding the politicians, quote, it should not take a tragedy to unite us because of a dereliction of duty, unquote. Protect us from what's in store. If you choose to ignore the warnings of experts who know better, but sadly, can't count on those in charge to practice prevention. There was no intervention before the 11th of September, and as a result, we will always remember. Very, very, very powerful. Wow. And Can the video you have up. Yeah. Go right ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, the video people can find up on your 9-11, um, I'm sorry, 9-11. The 9-11 video they can find up on your YouTube channel. A little time yeah, to today. Called, yeah, it's called Never Again Should There Be a 9-11. And it's the Good For You Network uh, YouTube channel. But Never Again should there be a 9-11. The music that you're hearing was especially played by its composer. David Friedman wrote a song called Help is on the Way from places you don't even know about today. From friends you haven't even met yet, hear me when I say help is on the way. So that was especially played for the piece. And um, wow. listening to it again, um, it brings back so much because when you watch the video, um, I never wanted to show you know, the building, you know, burning or collapsing or whatever. The only thing I wanted to show at the end was the building today, the Twin Towers, no longer, you know, um, with the single building. And every year, 
and those of us in New York can see it, there are phantom lights. And I wanted to go in yeah. tight on the phantom lights and then dissolve slowly. It's almost like to the angels above. And it's, uh, as the camera zooms out, you see it, the wall pictures of those incredible people who left us that day. And that was very important to do that and honoring them. And when I say the, the pictures are quite something, the images, how do you make sense of the senseless? What image would sue that? And for me, it was a woman named Marcy Borders, frozen, almost like a statue, covered with dust, covered with yeah. dust. And to me, that more than any other image, senseless. I, um, you know, when I did Reflections of 9-11, it was based on a sermon that I listened to the Sunday after 9-11. I walked out of my neighborhood downtown, which was like a war zone, and the title of it was called Making Sense of the Senseless. And the person delivering the service said, we cannot allow these people to die in vain. We have got to do good in their name. And that's why I did these pieces. It's my way of um, to do good in their name. That's all, to keep it alive. And um, you can listen and you can watch Never Again Should There Be a 9-11. But these images are so worth watching. And I know, I'll tell you a personal story, and you have yours to share as well. Um, I walked out of my neighborhood two days later, and but that night of 9-11, the smell, that smell of death hadn't gone north yet. And when I walked up Hudson Street to about 8th Avenue and around 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th, and our motto of rescue vehicles came from different states of the Union. The paramedics were coming to rescue us, and I had tears streaming to see that, you know, and then two days later, I did walk out of my neighborhood in order to walk back in. It was the first time state troopers were at 14th Street. You needed ID. I didn't have a driver's license on me because who needed it? I didn't drive in New York. But he saw my air purifier that I bought and said, okay, you know, if you didn't live here, you wouldn't have bought the air purifier. But I will tell you, when I got to about Hudson and um, about Perry Street in Manhattan, a flatbed truck of rescue workers you know, all sweaty, dirty, standing. They were coming up the street, and all of the people in the village, you know, were pouring out of their apartment buildings. We gave them a standing ovation. And, again, it was very emotional and cheery. And they needed the standing ovation, and we needed to give it. And that's how people were there and together for each other. And knowing how many of those people have gotten sick as a result of being part of the rescue and recovery efforts, how many have died, and how many people who lived and worked in the area, the same thing. But I will always remember that, and I will also always remember going down to the site two months later. That's when I went to the so-called teddy bear memorial site. There were teddy bears there, and I, it was two months later. I was only there for two hours, and I'm a healthy person. And I got that World Trade Center call for about two weeks. That's how powerful it was two months later. But I wrote it down because I said I wanted to give voice to what people had left. I've got to sit here and I've got to write it down. I sent it to people as part of my Christmas New Year's card that year, and I knew I wanted to record it one day so more people could hear it and be touched by it. By people's hearts and heartache, I wanted to give voice to it. You know, um, I was living here in um, South Carolina when the towers went down. We had just moved here on Super Bowl Sunday that year. I retired like... Mm -hmm.
Hello? my sh- shoulder. February 26th. Yeah, I, can you hear me? Yeah, you got me? Yeah, you dropped you out. Now I can hear you again, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was I was on duty on February 26th of 93 when the towers were hit the first time. And, and I remember the new Well, I was I was one of the walking wounded. I was waiting for shoulder surgery, but the previous PBA president, Patrick Lynch, Patty Lynch, a friend of mine, he was our PBA delegate in my precinct. I remember the teletype going crazy. Everyone called, everyone was called up. He was grabbing anyone and everyone racing across the bridge to go down to mm-hmm. the Twin Towers. Eight people died that day. No one remembers that. But I remember all the commentators, the media talking about the bombing of the towers, why the towers didn't come down. And I remember screaming at the TV, this lamestream media we had there. They wanted everything out there in the news. This is why are you giving out information and telling them how to bring the towers down? Why didn't they come down? Now you're telling them how to bring the towers down. Now the opposite we're finding. The lamestream media is protecting the administration instead of exposing what's going wrong. We have a complete flip-flop. I mean, there were so many things that went wrong to bring it up to 9-11. And mm-hmm. I say they dropped the ball. And they didn't miss it. They dropped it. And they dropped it yeah. big time. Well, uh, you know, it's uh, interesting. One of the stories that I would recommend people read for yourselves, Newsweek Magazine did a big investigative piece. It's called The Road to 9-11. And I'll quote you, um, I showed a headline from it, but they concluded that our security agencies, quote them, flat out failed to do their jobs. So this is from their article. And what they said is the reason it's important, one part of the series is that people be held accountable. It's dangerous if they're not. So this is a quote from Newsweek magazine. Despite countless signs that some terrorist planning and preparations involve large commercial airliners, The CIA was never able to put the pieces together. But more important, neither the CIA nor the FBI nor other agencies effectively used the tools that were at their disposal. There was no nationwide manhunt, no definitive warning to airlines or airport security. The federal government moved forward, oblivious, lackadaisical, even incompetent, with leaders mostly on vacation and workers never able to assemble the mosaic. And they go on to say the CIA, the FBI, and the rest of the intelligence community just failed to do their jobs. The White House failed to focus and heed the signs. The FAA failed to issue sufficient warnings. And dozens of airline and security employees failed to do their jobs on that morning. This is from Newsweek magazine. And part of it is how do you prevent, you know, and that was some of the things that I brought up Um also, for those of us who are living in the area, the reason I brought up Christy Whitman is it's one thing to say we just don't know. You know, we have no way of knowing, you know, how safe or how dangerous. But we were told it was safe. And the reality is pregnant women, people with respiratory diseases, children, people, older adults for sure, you know, should have in an orderly fashion, um, if they could, left the neighborhood. Um, because that smell of death came into my apartment and there was no way it was okay for us to be breathing it in. And most everybody really needed to go on a detox of some sort, you know, based on what it is that we did breathe in. But this was Newsweek, and I um, reread it again, and it was really quite something to read all of the missed signals. Um, And it's a shame. So rather than that, it's not enough, you know, pointing fingers, but accountability is important in order to prevent it from happening again, 
what went wrong, right. how did it go and you can honestly say, look, we haven't had another 9-11, but 9-11, it probably did not have to happen if the dots had been put together, you know, in time. And certainly some friends of mine were coming back from somewhere in Scandinavia, may have been Finland, on September 10th, 2001. And just, you know, American couple coming back, they were each questioned separately in different rooms on September 10th, 2001. My friend's reaction, she said, was, thank you so much. I feel so safe getting on this plane. But the point <laughs> that's been made in this week is we did not do any of that. You know, we did well, not do any of that. We did not question. And, um, and it's a shame. And I know I remember interviewing before 9-11, John Nance, who's an aviation expert, and he talked about how easy it is you know, to either hijack a plane, get a bomb, get weaponry aboard a plane. No, he wasn't saying it was going to go into the World Trade Center, but once you have control of a plane, you can do anything, you know. So yeah. they just, again, lack of, I'm a big believer in prevention. And, well, Joshua, uh, go ahead. Because I want to say Joshua yeah. happens to have been a former deputy district director for Kat Kamat for her run, and he's also a writer for RSBN, RSB Network. And he's my guest co-host today. So go ahead, Josh. Yeah, you know, um, I just want to uh, piggyback off of something you said, Claire, and that we can never be 100% uh, safe. But looking back, it appears that 9-11 was a greater domestic policy failure than it was a foreign policy failure. We had an administration prior to Bush and during Bush that was not enforcing the existing laws on the books. So I think that one way that we can honor and remember those whose lives were taken is by holding people accountable and ensuring that our government doesn't create more law that surveils the populace in America like the Patriot Act after 9-11, but enforces existing law to tighten down the border on immigration policy and to tighten down uh, law policy and not being soft on crime because although we've not had another event like 9-11, we have had other terrorist attacks since then, such as the Boston Marathon bomber. And that was another derelict of duty from failing to carry out existing law. And we our school shootings in America, time and time again, we find out afterwards that the FBI, our, our security agencies, knew that these people were flight risk and yet did nothing about them. Well, I think that goes to your point. It's really regarding that Newsweek was saying, it's important for people to be held accountable, you know, and in the Newsweek article, they were saying who got fired, you know, whether it was somebody from the White House or White House officials or the FBI. I do remember that, and it was written about, there were agents in the field who wanted to get a subpoena for a computer of somebody who was wanting to take, you know, flight schools and stuff like that. Why would the powers that be in Washington not say to your agents in the field, they would know the best. Sure, why not? I think those kinds of things need to be looked at. But it's everything in total. Look, when you listen to the reading of the names every year, the message is very clear. People want to be brought together. They want their loved ones honored, and they want to be brought together. You know, the purpose of, like, brainstorming is you can have great ideas or not great ideas or whatever, but can we respectfully brainstorm? Can we respectfully come and figure out the solutions to a problem? 
problems, you know, you can spend a lot of time with problems and complaining and pointing fingers, but who's got the best solutions? May the best ideas win. And sometimes you don't know what the best idea is, but people have to feel like they can at least talk about it, that it's okay to talk about it, to come up with different solutions. Um, And, you know, no matter whether it's the origins of the virus and preventing another pandemic from happening, what happened in Maui, you know, preventing what could be done to prevent this kind of destruction from wildfires. I really am about prevention and I'm also about how do we bring people together, you know, and can you do both? You know, it's funny because when we formed the Tea Party here, and I'm still running a Tea Party since 2009, um, I did a a speech at one of our rallies about never forgetting 9-11 and taking forward. And if you remember, Glenn Beck used the term the 9-12 initiative. What brought our nation together when people lined up to donate blood, to turn around and and go down to Grand Zero and feed the the responders and the emergency workers there, to give them blankets and give them a place to shower. When people were had to flee Manhattan because of their buildings being in in jeopardy because of the the attack, Uh, people put them up in their homes. And one of them was my own sister-in-law that someone, a stranger in Queens, saw her come off the train and said, you need a place to stay. She stayed for three days in a stranger's house. People united across this nation like they never saw before, except for being hit in Pearl Harbor. But Pearl Harbor was a small area. The rest of the nation got the patriotic spirit. But the nation itself united to help New York's New Yorkers and then united to help each other in ways that we never, ever, ever saw before. And I, I think, think that's what you're aiming yeah. for. And I think that's what we're all yeah. looking for. Yeah, I think there are lots of people um, who want to come together and we have so much more in common, you know, and it doesn't matter left, right, Republican, Democrat, independent. It's like, come on, we're just human beings. And I think most people, it is what we have in common and want to be able to live good quality lives, live joyful lives, meaningful lives of purpose. And, um, and how do we come up with the solutions to some very real problems that are facing the nation? So I wanted to focus in on never again should there be a 9-11. And I think, I'm asking people to please watch it, send it to everybody that they know, the video. Send it to your elected officials to let them know you care about the subject. That's the way you do it. I poured everything, you know, that I know into doing it. Um, You know, it wasn't certainly, you know, I'm not making any money out of it. I know I tend to. I really believe it was my way of making good because that sermon I never forgot. Making sense of the senseless will stay with me for my entire life. And that feeling of doing good in their names in whatever way that we can. But I want to bring people together. And I also want to prevent problems. I mean, everybody exposed to that dust needed to start, you know, a detox program of some sort after breathing that stuff in. And, you know, it's not okay to say the air is safe. If you don't know, then be honest about it. That's all. But so many people, you know, needed to do that. And I just hear too many stories, as you do too, Amy you know, of people who have since gotten cancers years later. It's still happening. People are still getting cancer that is related, you know, to 9-11. So, um, you know, so I would love to, you know, put everybody together who cares about this 
and cares about coming together and enough of all this antagonism. And that's why I said shame on all of those who would tear us apart. I don't care your politics or anything like that. I care about solutions to problems that nothing like this ever happens again. And whether it is an airplane going into a building our electric grid being attacked in some way that would devastate us, another pandemic, you know, or the wildfires, you know, in Maui. You know, we now think about what do you do to prevent, you know, whether it's burying the electrical wires underground, whether it's fire retardant for the electric poles, whether it's investing in more airplanes that carry the water, you know, whatever. But we've got to come up with solutions because this country has to come together. There's issues pressing issues to come together. Well, well, I got to tell you, I'm I'm looking at the clock, and we're down to our last five minutes with you uh, before my next guest comes in. Oh, my God, I can't believe almost a whole hour has passed. And I'm going to put up before the screen on my little scribble pad. I use, I literally, my notes are on a yellow legal pad. (laughs) And legal, uh, uh, regular. I wrote on legal pads, too. That's okay. I relate. (laughs) So I'm looking at the list of things I wanted to talk to you about, and I don't think I've got past the first line. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. We'll talk again. (laughs) Well, well, I've got to tell you, because Fauci, and here we go. I just got myself back up on YouTube. I'm going to say it. COVID, 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 YouTube, thank you. Take me down again now. (laughs) Uh, The WHO, which I had with my last guest, because I did read the latest uh, treaty they want everyone to sign in on that would uh, 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 give up our sovereignty to the WHO and the UN. Uh, The side effects of the vaccine and the Epic Times has been posting for the last week or so that now they can blame the vaccination on 17 million deaths from the side effects. Uh, You mentioned in one of your broadcasts or interviews, I should say, a gain of function that not very many people are talking about. We can go on and on and on and on. And don't let me say EMP. (laughs) Well, this is all the subject for another day. But for today, I just really want you, and I want to thank you, for giving time to never again should there be a 9-11, one thing at a time. You know, that's the way you send a message to your elected officials by getting enough friends and family and associates or whatever and send it to let them know. Take a look at it. Take a, it's the way you honor. Again, honor those who died. You honor those who survived. But that last part and everyone whose lives will never be the same, I think, you know, I still want to focus on that. I'll come back another time and talk about other issues, but it is very important that we learn from what happened and that, you know, people should read. You know, I mean, I'm sure there are other articles besides, you know, the, the Newsweek one, but that series, I just happened to reread and I was very taken by it. And what could have been done differently, we can't go back in time, but that's why they have military games to figure out you know, what if, the yeah. what if, and it should have been known what if they get control of a plane and what if and what could be done. And, you know, airlines needed to be on a high alert. A lot of other things needed to happen, but I'm very grateful for the time and the opportunity to talk about never again should there be a 9-11. Your life was personally affected, and I certainly know mine was as well. Well, I, I'm just going to say one thing to the listeners out there, and I'm sure you want to follow up on it, where we have this humongous defund the police movement. Ask yourself, if there was a huge defund the police movement prior to 
what would have happened that day, how many more people would have lost their lives had those brave men and women not gone in. And when you defund the police, you send a demoralization down the, the line of all first responders because they're going to say if you're going after police next you're going to go after the firefighters then you're going to go after the other emergency services and you're going to turn around and ask for pure anarchy what would have happened that day on 9-11 if only half the first responders were able to show up because of your defund movement how many more lives would have been left lost well, those men and women voluntarily that, they, did, yeah. they, mm-hmm. they did an incredible job but, you know, even the 60 Minutes piece pointed out, not one firefighter said no to going up those stairs, even though they knew chances are they were never coming down. That's pretty extraordinary, pretty remarkable. How many of us could do that? No, not one firefighter, not one police officer. And many were off duty when they went running into those buildings. Mm-hmm. And there was one office, one firefighter that actually ran the, uh, the, the, the tunnel with his full equipment pack on because the, mm-hmm. they weren't letting vehicles through. He ran in, and he never came out. And we can go on story after story after story. And also individuals that helped each other down. And there was a documentary recently I saw on TV mm-hmm. where it was a group of office workers, and they were locked. They were up above the, the 65th floor is where the elevator stopped. They were above the 65th. They helped a woman that was handicapped come completely down, and they all made it because they stuck together and they did it as, indi- as individuals as one unit. We can go on and on with heroic stories on a line 11 oh, and yes. never and the end. Final one, the young man with the red bandana who kept on going back to rescue and rescue and rescue, and that young man did not make it in the end, but he saved lives. The young man with the red bandana. And no one ever knows his name. I think you know it now. Oh, they They do? Most people do. They do know it now. Yeah, but most people don't. Yeah. Well, if you have his name, send it to me, please, because then we will do a dedication. Because our dedication is not just to uh, first responders, it's to military, Mm -hmm. but it's also to extraordinary people that have done something above and beyond. And we're Mm -hmm. always willing to... Bring that name forward, as you say, to give them honor and let people remember. And that's what it's about. Thank you so much for caring so much. Well, God bless. And I said, you have to come back on. And like I said, there's, I went through line one and not the rest of it that's on the pad. <laughs> and where can people find you before you go? Where can people um, find yeah. you? Well, never again should there be a 9-11, uh, good for you. Um, talkers.com, I do good for you radio as part of their pod jockey on talkers.com. Well, God bless. All right, and uh, we look forward to having you again. Take care. All right, so look for her, C.C. Carter. Uh, check her out online. Oh, man. And now i got to find my notes for our next guest, and here she is. Here she is, and she's up in the studio. Let's bring on redneck lady Stephanie Lee. Good afternoon, Stephanie. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Been a while, girlfriend. Uh, I, I, you know what? I went back over my notes trying to remember the first time you came on the show, and I came across this 
And I remember laughing when I played it on air, and I cannot re- resist this, Stephanie. And here we go. Hang on a second. Let's pull this up for you okay. because I remember the first time. I dented your truck. Can you imagine the man you what? I dented your truck. That was a fun oh one. My. That one I actually really enjoyed. <laughs> well, my regular co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett, is not with us. So I've got Joshua Perry with us. He also writes for RSB Network. Uh Josh, this is uh, Stephanie Lee, known as Redneck Lady. <laughs> Actually, Lady Redneck. Sorry. <laughs> Lady Redneck. I always well, backwards. Yeah, well, yeah. sorry. That's okay. No worries. No worries at all. I mean, it's totally fine. Trust me. I am glad to be here. Hi, Josh. Good to see hear you on here, too. Oh man! Now you you are a most interesting individual. You know you you grew up in a family filled with the teeth and backwards, full of musicians and performers, and you play multiple instruments. I think you play like five different things. Are is that or have you expanded since the last time I talked to you? Um, no, it's it was seven, and I haven't learned anything new since. I <laughs> I should though. <laughs> All right, name the seven now. Um, what did you say, Annie? I'm sorry. I said name the seven. Oh, okay. So piano, guitar, bass guitar, ukulele, violin, mandolin, drums. <laughs> See, I only mastered violin, viola, and I was teaching myself cello. <laughs> and I was awesome. teaching myself guitar. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Until I... But then I broke both my hands riding a motorcycle, and that put that out the window. <laughs> I didn't get the truck. I just stopped the motorcycle. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> I, I can still punch. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, man. Now, uh, I want people to get to know about you because you are a prolific songwriter as well as a singer-musician, and... um you you have also a very Christian uh, base on all of everything you do, but you also deal with relationships. And um, a lot of the songs you write about deal with the different types of relationships that you have been in. And one of them, you wrote the song, I Wonder About You. And if you don't mind, I want to play it so people can get an idea of some of your music um, before we go to your new release. Does that sound okay. good? All yeah, right, that's good. I, I mean, I, I do. Oh, never mind.
about cutting you off, Stephanie. <laughs> I'm start playing before I can stop it. <laughs> That's okay. I was just going to um, say on that one, actually, my dad actually wrote that one. That was a song that I grew up listening to and loving. I'd always hear him play it on the piano. And I didn't know until I was in high school that he'd written. I just thought it was like one of those older songs that he loved and listened to. And then when he told me he wrote it, it blew me away because I just, I actually loved it. And I, he played it a lot. And so for his birthday last year, I told him I would record one of the songs he's written. So that's, that's where that song actually came from. Now, um, you had, uh, uh, the last time I spoke to you and the last time you were on air, you were having some difficulties. Uh, you went to the firing range, and you didn't have the proper equipment on your ears. And uh, ironically, uh, last year my fiance and I went to the firing range, and he didn't have the proper equipment on his ears. And I thought of you because he went home, and for the oh. next two weeks he had a hard time hearing. And he's hard of hearing in one ear to begin with. So that didn't oh, go really? over too well. And oh, I kept on telling yeah. you, you've got to put the, the stuff so how are you doing today? Thanks for remembering. You're so nice. Thanks for remembering and asking. I, I actually really appreciate that. I, um, You know, I'm still struggling. Our, I feel like the healthcare. I mean, not saying anything bad about doctors, just healthcare overall has, has gone down substantially. I literally cannot, like with my insurance that we have, there's only one doctor that um, I can see and I saw him and his answer, like, he didn't really have an answer. <laughs> so I, um, I need, I guess I just need to get it. We had gotten new insurance and I thought that, oh, great. Now I can, you know, finally get this thing resolved and get this figured out. But I'm still, I still can't hear any. It's still, um, it's still bad. So it's been like a totally different lifestyle change for me. And I have not done hardly any live shows this year just because I, I guess I feel a lot more insecure, you know, if somebody was going to talk to me or if I was out of tune and just didn't quite hear the instrumentation, right. Or, you know, it just changes, kind of changed my world quite a bit. So I'm hoping and praying, um, and, you know, within the next few months to get this resolved. So, well, you, you still remain in my prayers because I do think about you. And, and my mom's hard of hearing and my fiance's hard of hearing. So I understand, you know, uh, the difficulty that you have because I can see their face when I'm talking to them. It's yeah. like, okay, I have to change my pitch. I have to do something so that they can hear me, which makes you, your singing, trying to hear, which is amazing, the fact that you've been able to continue to record. Thanks for saying that and yeah it it's you know I'm glad that you mentioned that also because like with my husband and my daughter too you know I, I'm sure I know that they get frustrated but they're they're really um patient and sensitive to me because <laughs> you know sometimes they have to say it loud and I don't know it's just just different it's just hard my mom actually struggles yeah. with hearing but not from an accident and now I feel like I understand so much better what she <laughs> has dealt with all these years. So I don't yeah, think it, I it, had any idea. That, <laughs> oh, well, sometimes yeah, I'll, I'll raise my voice so she can hear me better. And it's like, don't yell at me. Mom, I'm yeah. not yelling. I'm just trying to let you hear. So how yeah. do I explain? I'm not yelling. Now you're yelling. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, you get it. That's it. <laughs> That's exactly. Oh my goodness. <laughs> now, one yeah. thing I ask a lot of the 
the artist is how do you lay down your tracks? And I noticed that in um, in this last one that you do, you have a, a, a backup. You have someone that's singing yeah. with you. Who do you use? Tell me if your husband. It's, I, you know, I really wish it would. I would love for him to sing with me, and I think that would be amazing. He actually um, sings a little, but it's not really his thing. He's a big hunter and just, you know, never, like, not as much into music as I am. So um, the guy that I record with, Brad Davis, is the one that you hear on there. So he's the one that <laughs> threw down those factors. Well. With, with your hearing problem, though, do you go in and lay track by track and then put it all together now? You know, um, I when I go in, I, I guess I really haven't changed my style of recording with the hearing issue. Um, but instead, I just, a lot of times the things that I, because, you know, in the recording studio, you've got the earphones on and you can kind of target it one, to one ear more than the other anyway. So it's I don't feel like it's affected me as much in the studio as it has day to day but the harder thing is just when we're you know talking in between like laying down a track and I'll be like and it, you know he will speak in his normal voice and I'll be like uh, can you say that one more time <laughs> so that's um that's kind of the issue there but as far as how do I record I uh, when we go in I'll just because I write all the music and the and the words and so when we go in, I just do like a rough draft. So I'll play it on the piano or guitar and sing it. And I'll do it usually to a metronome so that it's, you know, the rough draft makes it pretty easy. And then we just will quite often like lay down, like if I'm going to do the piano or the guitar or if Brad's going to do the guitar, you know, one of us will play the next track and then he'll usually throw on the bass or whatever. And then we usually do the vocals after that um, so that I just have wow. a pretty good thing so it makes it really easy we, you know, I don't know it just feels like it comes together and you want to hear something really interesting being a musician you'll yeah. probably understand this but right when you write music like the creativity part is like the greatest part of it right just like creating mm-hmm. and seeing things mm-hmm. come to life and so when I go to the studio I try not to this is probably backwards of everything anybody else has ever said but I I try actually not to like have this song down too well because when I do, I feel like it thwarts a little bit of the creativity because uh-huh. it's hard for me. Like if I've already sung it that way for so long or, you know, it's been in my head like that for so long, then it's harder for me to think of different ways to do it. And I love uh-huh. doing it as many different ways as possible because a lot of times, like some of the things that come out are crazy cool and like better than what I had thought of. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, it makes I, I, I equated I equate it like I love to sing if I have someone live playing next to me. Because sometimes you'll That's go, awesome. the tempo will slow down, it'll pick up, uh, you want to do something different. And if you try to do, I can't do karaoke, flat out. I cannot. For some reason, really? I just freak out. Yeah. And it, 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 you're, it, you're in a box, and you can't yeah. leave that box. And yes. if you think of some of the great yeah. singers like... Frank Sinatra was known for his interpretive singing. Uh, you, uh, Dean Martin, you get some of these great singers out there. Uh, Judy Garland, they never sing the song the same way twice. Uh, and yes. And even when you're That's playing awesome. an instrument, there's, that you may decide that, hey, as you're coming through this one uh, uh, progression in the music, 
You may decide uh-huh. not to be as quiet. You may want a little bit more forte, or another area yes. you want to it, it, you want to make it more impressive. You do a little pianissimo, and for people who don't understand, forte means louder, harder. Pianissimo, quiet, little bit, little bit, little bit. And um, you know what I think of when I think of this is if you ever watch the Blues Blues Brothers when they sing that yeah. song a little bit louder, yeah. now, they're doing that. That is the perfect way yes. to explain it. You, you have to leave it open to interpretation and why live music is so much better than karaoke. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, my gosh. I know. I to- I'm so glad you said that. I totally, totally agree with that. And, like, with each song, it's, like, it's more like however you're feeling it that day. Like, one day, I may mm-hmm. feel, like, a real slow passion of song and, like, you know, feel really, like, timid at the beginning, but just want to build at the end. But another day, it might be the exact opposite, you know? And so I I, I totally agree with that, where, you know, live music is so much better because it's all about feeling. It's about even where that person is in their life right then and that day and what they're feeling and what they're thinking and, you know, and that's how it should be because if it's the same every time, I'm, I feel like that's boring. <laughs> I just don't, you know, you, there's no feeling. It takes away all of the emotions. No, what people don't realize is that when you are playing music or you're playing an instrument or you're singing or whatever you're doing, you're creating, you're using another language. You're speaking in another language. And yeah. whether or not you want so much, no, I want you here or I want you here. It's, it's yeah. how you do it. So when you're playing an instrument and you are playing those notes, you're not a robot. I mean, you can get a mechanical piano any time. It's the same way every mm-hmm. single time. But yes. when you're playing, you're speaking, and it's the person that speaks, and it's that individual that wants to communicate something to you. And they feel something in this music at this point is something they want you to feel. And yeah. the same way I'm speaking now, when I stress certain words or when I relax in certain words, Music's the same way. It's just another language. So true. Yeah, it really is. That's so well put. Now, who's interviewing <laughs> who? I think you're interviewing me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm looking at the clock, and uh, I, we, this whole show has gone so freaking fast. And I'm sorry, Joshua probably got about two words in the whole time. Sorry. <laughs> He's just sitting oh, back no going, worries. Okay. <laughs> Now, you just released a little over a week ago a new song, God So Loved the World. And and I, I found that song very, very interesting because the way you start it and the way you start, it's you're questioning. I hear you questioning your faith. And you got your friend Brad in the background, but he doesn't come in until almost about midway through the song. And you're solitary. Yeah. You're alone. And yeah. I loved the way the Expression came in, and all of a sudden, it was like Brad's voice is like, here, someone's listening. Someone's listening. And that's when your tempo started to uplift. And then yeah. the whole focus was changed. <laughs> am I reading this wrong, or am I seeing the no, same thing you were thinking? Ex- nope. You've got it exactly the way that I felt it and the way that I wrote it. Because I feel like, I mean, the song was really genuine in the sense that a lot of times when we start praying, you know, sometimes when we first start praying, we don't maybe necessarily feel anything. Maybe we're just kind of, one, you know, talking and talking to God and wanting him to hear, but, you know, kind of wondering, are you there? Do you hear me? Now I'm on my knees. 
And then, but usually the longer that we pray and the more sincerely, like we can feel him there. We can feel his presence, his love. It just kind of envelops us, right? And we, we get to where we can just feel that he's there. And so that's kind of, I wanted to kind of capture the feeling of, of just prayer and the way when you talk to God, how he, he does respond. And maybe at the beginning, you might be questioning and wondering if he's there, but you can feel that he is. You know that he's there. So well, you read it exactly I, I don't, right. I don't know if I shared this. Well, I don't think I did. Um, it was back in 2016. Um, my late husband had been rushed to the hospital, and they were giving him – they didn't even think he was going to live through the night. And I remember as I was at the hospital, a friend of ours from our church came in and gave us two prayer shawls. And I put one around his shoulders and I put one around mine and he was completely out of it. And I remember driving home with the prayer shawl around my shoulders. I don't know how the heck I drove home, honestly, because I was crying the whole long way. I had to clean the cat box and feed the cat. And I went into the bedroom and I knelt down to pray. And the next thing I know, I'm prostrate on the floor, and I'm crying. I'm going, God, what am I going to do now? What's going to happen to me? And I kept on asking those questions. What am I going to do? And all of a sudden, and your song reminded me, it struck me so hard. And right now, I, I feel it over me. It struck me so hard that I was praying for the wrong thing. And I heard that in your song, the change in it where I turned around and I said, God, whatever your will is, I accept it. Just tell me what oh, to do. Oh, my gosh. I just got now, chills. I kid you not. My I, my arms yeah. have chills all over them. That's awesome. Now, I, here, I'll freak you out even further because I actually felt the spirit. I get back to the hospital about four hours later. I get off the elevator. Uh The doctor comes running up to me. She hugs me. She's crying. She's crying. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, he's gone. He's gone. Because she was was just, and I couldn't even see his room. And finally, I was able to raise my head enough. She had me in such a tight embrace. I looked across the the, uh, ICU. He was in intensive care. I look, of course, mm-hmm. he's sitting up in bed. He's joking with the nurses as if nothing was wrong. Oh, my word. Now, here, I'll, wow. I'll freak you out even later. A few years later, I was telling that story. He looked at me, and he goes, I know that moment you prayed because I felt oh. a warmth coming over me. I felt a peace, and I felt everything was going to be all right. We were given five more years before he finally did pass. But oh, that is the power of prayer. And when I heard your song, it swept over me like it did that day. Oh, you're making me cry. I'm sorry. <laughs> that just really, really touched me. You know, I've got to tell you something about that song, too. And I'm thank you so much for sharing that. Like, honestly, I am, like, I've got, like, tears, like, about ready to come out of my eyes that really, really meant a lot you know what you just said and I, I believe that I know there's power of prayer and I know he answers us and I know that like when you that things like that happen where we are praying and you and there's a difference it's it's there it's just power prayer is just so powerful because God loves us and he's waiting for us to ask right but um when yes. I wrote that song I actually had written it different I had written it about asking you shall receive it was kind of a different prayer and the night before I was supposed to go in the studio 
God started changing the words on me. And he said, nope, it's got to have these, these different words. And it's, I had added in God so loved the world, and it still was centered around asking me to receive. And, um, and then on the way, driving to the studio that morning, which this has never happened to me, he had me change the rest of the words. And so I'm going to the studio going, Brad, I have no idea what just happened because this is not even like, I mean, it's the same chord progression, it's the same music, but these aren't the same words that I wrote. And I was worried because I was like, this is, you know, a big difference. And I don't know, but I just, I felt like he was telling me, no, these are the words that the song is supposed to have. And this is what it's supposed to be about. So I just said, okay, we'll just do it that way. And so, I mean, because I feel like he did have a part in it and what he, his message, what he wanted me to share. I, I feel like it is out there. Just like, there's people that do need to hear that. This is, you know, there's a message that he wanted shared. <laughs> so whoever it's for, you know, um, and maybe it's just for somebody that's struggling that doesn't know that he answers prayers or doesn't know if he's really there. Maybe he just wanted to let him know that he's there. He is. He is. Well, let me play your song. We're down to our, good Lord, our last five minutes in the show here, Stephanie. Uh, where can people find you? Um, they can find me, ladyredneck.org, or on Facebook. I'm on there. I'm on Instagram, Lady Redneck Music. Um, I'm on TikTok, and I love, you know, just communicating with people. So shoot me a message or a post or a comment on my posts anyway, and I'll definitely try to respond. Well, I have a link on the show page so that after people stop listening to the show and say, Annie, shut up, <laughs> they can click <laughs> on it and, and, and get all of your music. So, Stephanie, it has been a pleasure, and I think the good Lord put the two of us together to share these stories I and let people know. There is hope. Yes, I needed prayer. that. <laughs> Amen, Annie. Thank well, you God so bless much. you, Stephanie. Thank and we'll have you. you back. We'll have you back soon. And Joshua, say hi and goodbye. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> hi and goodbye, Joshua. <laughs> hey, thank you. Bye. All, right. All right. This is Stephanie Lee, Lady Redneck. God so loved the world. Thank you. Thank you.